Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of Congregational Humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome. There is a perfect mother. No, no, not me. Uh, Thank you. No, she's demure and loving and selfless and always knows exactly what to do. And she's not really a person in her own right. She exists to mother. She's the platonic ideal of mother, not not really a, a fully realized human. She's sort of the Jesus equivalent of mother, perfect in every way, human, but without sin. How do we know? Because we see her everywhere. We've seen her in the movies and we've seen her in TV shows, perhaps most uh, perfectly uh, personified by Barbara Billingsley and Father Knows Best, the pearls. Oh, yes, we see her everywhere, and we see our reverence for Mother everywhere, especially on this greeting card day. What's the narrative of Mother's Day that you learned growing up? Is it that good kids bring breakfast to mom in bed? That happy families are the norm? That one mom plus one dad plus two kids plus one dog makes a happy family, that moms are always supportive, that motherhood is natural and rewarding in equal measure. Sometimes these stories are even true, sometimes and not very often. To be human is to be birthed into the world. Each of us, each of us has a birth mother. Mother's Day is hard with the common narrative around it being a a greeting card kind of jolliness, while the real story of our own lives can be complicated. For some, Mother's Day is this happy, joyous day. For some, the relationship is fraught with past hurt or present disappointment. For some, the pain of loss is especially tender this year, or the wound is old and scarred over but still has a familiar ache, or perhaps your longing for a birth story is a longing for something that never happened, or this day is just a hurdle to get past in in an otherwise happily childless life. And for some of us, Today is one in which we celebrate being and having a good mom. What is especially welcome in this space is the recognition of the complexity of this day. To be human is to have stories, to hold together and to make meaning from the various narratives we create from our experience. Stories are the fruit of our experience. Something happens and we tell a story about it. In my family, we tend to tell stories over and over and they really take root. Here's how one story goes for me. When I was a little girl, 
Sometimes I went fishing with my grandfather. One time he told me I was too noisy for the fish. And I don't remember going with him again. And this is how the story got stuck in my head as not good at fishing. Now, this was no great loss for me because I didn't particularly enjoy fishing. It was slow and it was smelly and it was muddy and buggy. And I had to sit still and be quiet. Still, I liked being outside and with my grandfather on the bank of the pond out in the country at what we called the place. Now that I think about it, though, as I deconstruct that story, I doubt that Big Daddy had planned a big fishing expedition for me to teach me this essential craft. That wasn't really his way. More likely, I was in his charge for the day and he was going fishing and I tagged along. As a grown-up man, used to sitting still on a stool on the bank, worms in a coffee can, Maybe he was about the same age I am now. He was unaccustomed to the rhythm of a five-year-old girl, wandering about, poking into everything, asking every question under the sun. So his comment about me, me being noisy was just a comment, just an offhand comment. For me, it got buried as a nugget of truth and maybe even a moment of separation from belonging. Much more than wanting to fish, I wanted to please. And I never, while I never once doubted that Big Daddy loved me, I was beginning to learn that I was a town girl, one made for dance class and clean places rather than smelly, muddy, buggy places. We are each made up of stories, stories that land and get planted. That bad seed, he had a story that he was a bad seed. Something bad had happened and he was just going to be bad. Until one day he decided there may be a different way to live my life. What, in what way can I change this story? We're all made up of stories, individually and collectively. We meet someone and we get to know them. We tell them our story, where we are, our people are from, if we know it, what work we do in the world, if that's important to us, what influencers helped to shape our lives. And then these folks we encounter make up stories about us, who we are in the world, what meaning we have in their lives, how we fit in the community they are also creating. These intersecting stories are the fabric of our community and have the funny quality of being both malleable and rooted. Stories get stuck in our heads. They're shorthand for all the complexity of our lives, all the learning that we are doing anew each day with each bump in the road or each hurdle crossed. Stories are the way we go from stereotype, which is always a single and incomplete story, to complexity, to something of essence. 
In Nanying, Stella Wong's poem about the three sweatshop women, we learn from these short and simple lines something of the essence of each woman. Imagine the scene. Let's tell a story about these three women in a sweatshop. We see a clothing factory, sun filtering through dirty windows, perhaps, dust motes in the air, the sound of a hundred sewing machines in action, women hunched over their work. As I imagine them in this story, there's, there's only one story here. The story is poverty, no hope, their purpose usurped only for profit. That I, a Western woman, may have whatever ever garment I want at whatever time I choose it or can afford to have it. The poet invites us to see just three of these women up close. The one who looks for beauty, who says these stripes bring my dead eyes to life. Something new. The one who reflects on her own dreams deferred. She came thinking there would be something more and cut, 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 snip, 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 pattern after pattern. This was all there was. And the one who works in service for her family that they may leap to higher waters. Suddenly through this poem, it's not just a sea of beings hunched over their machines, but the lens focuses in and we see three as individual people with a whole complexity of their lives. And the poet shares their essence with us. One of my favorite stories, I was asked about this this week, what is a, a novel that has stayed with you and changed the way you saw things uh, for long after you read the novel. And one of my favorite novels on the shelf behind me here is The Red Tent by Anita Diamant. You may know this story. It takes a very uh, minor verse in the Bible about the story of Dina. And she was one of, uh, she was a daughter, I think, of Jacob. And, and there's a whole story that goes into the background. Is this short verse in the Bible about her. And the writer takes it and dives in to a whole story in the background. Her life and what it meant and what how eventually that one verse got written in a way that defined her, but in fact, she was so much more. That what, that's what stories are about, stereotypes, which are always limited and incomplete. Give us one little slice of something on the surface, but in on the surface, but in fact, we can go underneath, and there's an entire tapestry, an entire fabric of life beneath that. And that's true for mothers and children and fathers and all of us in our community. I heard someone say not very long ago that 
it seems like everything is about racism now. Can't we talk about something besides racism? White people are just made to be, feel guilty about everything. Yes, yes, we shouldn't uh, agree to the stereotypes and I'm trying to learn and I don't just really want to read another book, but does everything have to be about racism? I think we are in a moment when story that has been right here on the surface is going whoosh into all that's under and beneath it, to all the complexity of the ways that white supremacy culture has had a hold on the psyche, has been so much a part of the narrative that has gotten rooted in my understanding of who I am in the world. And I think for myself that dismantling white supremacy culture will be a lifetime of work, of unspooling that story and learning to tell it in a new and different way. I'm not a bad seed and I'm not a perfect mother. You're not a bad seed and you're not a perfect anything. None of us are. And how can this continual learning and leaning in to the great freedom project, the liberatory project of dismantling white supremacy culture, take us down into the rich tapestry beyond stereotype into something that is more essential. I mentioned earlier that Barb and I recorded some songs, and you know that some of the songs in our gray and teal songbooks, well, sometimes they have troublesome language. You may hear God more than you want to. You may hear it less than you want to. The song we'll sing at the end today, We'll Build a Land, uses gender binary language of sisters and brothers. When the lyric sings sisters and brothers, we might sing all our relations instead and move into something that's beyond binary language or not. When we sing, we'll, we'll build a land, we will build a land, try imagining a humble community, a community rooted in our own sense of not superiority, but commonality, rebuilding a land that once existed in harmony. Was there ever such a land? I don't know, but it's not for us to build something that never was. It's to get to some essential peace. If we use the project of dismantling white supremacy culture in our minds, what does it look like to be partners in building a land? This is how we change a story. I invite you to think about this as a, as a takeaway, to try this. Imagine for a moment what someone would say about you as a stereotype. If somebody were going to talk about you, what would be the sort of stereotypical thing they might say? It might have something to do with your gender or your um, race or ethnicity or class or age. You got that in your mind? Now, imagine how you would tell your story to someone 
with real complexity. The people you came from, the people uh, you're you're, uh, involved with in, in your work or your life or your hobbies or how you find joy in the world. Imagine your story and all its complexity. Got that? Now, imagine what you would say as what is an essential, the essential part of yourself. A stereotype is short, it's shorthand. What is essential about you is concise. See the difference? That's where story connects us. I invite you to tell the story about yourself that is the most nourishing, the one that is the most generous, and live that story out in the world. Blessed be. May it be so. Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.